Welcome to Artificially Intelligent Marketing, a weekly podcast where we stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, helping you get the best results from your marketing efforts. Now let's join our hosts, Paul Avery and Martin Broadhurst. Hello, welcome to episode 24 of Artificially Intelligent Marketing, where we're looking forward to keeping all of you lovely marketers up to date on all the things in AI that you need to know about. Now, not much news really in the world of marketing AI this week, but what there has been has been absolutely massive. So we've got three or four main topics that Martin and I are going to cover today, and then we're going to jump into our interview this week, which is with Jeff Coyle, co-founder at MarketMuse, which is a leading software tool for AI-powered content strategy. As usual, I'm going to be joined today by my co-host, Martin Broadhurst. Martin, how are you this week? Uh, I am feeling good, and I'm really enjoying the mix of articles that we've got coming up this week. Um, Some big stories, as you say. Um, I just want to spend a minute just looking at my experiences dealing with some clients this week, because I had an interesting one where I was doing a workshop. I was doing a HubSpot implementation with a client of mine. And as part of that process, I used ChatGPT in a way that I would typically use ChatGPT. I just asked it as a simple question. I asked it for some uh, ethnicity categories that you would typically find on UK surveys. And then I had a bit of a back and forth with it as I asked it to format the data for me. What was really surprising was the response of my clients as they sat there in awe of the way that I was using it. And it just reminded me just how far we've still got to go until this adoption. You know, these tools, I'm using them all day, every day. I know that you're obviously using them regularly. People are still completely unaware of just how much these tools uh, can improve efficiency and productivity in the workplace. I agree. I think it's, it's very interesting you've had that experience this week. Because we'll see from our news stories, um, we have to, to tell the listeners this week that the tipping point, you could argue it's coming, but I think this week it may be there. Um, and we'll come, we'll get a bit deeper into that, um, as we get, get through the stories for this week. Myself, I was on holiday last week in, uh, in sunny Norfolk. So very little on the AI front for me, lots of, um, trampoline bouncing instead with my nieces and, and nephews. Um, but like you say, really excited to see some of the stories that we have this week. So let's get stuck in straight away with story one, which is that ChatGPT Enterprise has been unveiled by the team over at OpenAI, which they promise will be an enhanced version of ChatGPT designed specifically for business use. This is not a complete surprise, but some of the sort of nuances of what you're going to be able to do with the, with sort of ChatGPT. PT Enterprise is quite interesting. So the first one is enterprise-grade security and privacy. So your, cust- your, your prompts and your company data that you upload into the system are not going to be used for training OpenAI's models. Data is going to be encrypted pretty much all the time. And the system has been certified as SOC2 compliant. So in essence, what this does is overcomes most of the objections that a lot of companies have had about letting, letting their employees use ChatGPT around data security and privacy. Added to that, there's going to be a number of features that just make it easier for enterprises to roll ChatGPT out to their 
to their um, employees, the types of things that honestly are the mainstay in enterprise level software that now ChatGPT will have. So there'll be an admin console for uh, an admin to be able to bulk manage users. You're going to be able to use things like single sign-on. You're going to have domain verification. And there's even going to be an, an analytics dashboard for admins to be able to see who's using the tool, how much they're using it, and all of that good stuff. Um, so again, the types of things that you'd, start, you'd expect to see really an enterprise-level software having that so far ChatGPT hasn't had. I think where it gets really interesting is that this is now promising to be the most powerful version of ChatGPT yet. Because if you have enterprise, you're going to have unlimited access to GPT-4. So there's going to be no usage caps. It's not going to be like the 50 uh, messages every three hours that most paid users currently face. It's also promising to be higher performance, up to two times faster. How are they achieving that? Because reasonable question, like are they throwing more GPU at it? Or have they actually changed the way the model works? Mm, who knows? To be to be unveiled at some point in the future, one assumes. Um, you, if you're an enterprise user, you're going to have unlimited access to what was known as code interpreter, but will now be called advanced data analysis. You're going to have 32K token context windows as standard, which of course most people have been waiting for both through the API um, and through the tool itself. But now it seems like that's going to be coming to enterprise first. You're going to have shareable chat templates for your company to use. Um, there's been lots of tools emerged to try and help people have like prompt databases and all this other stuff. So I think basically that's going to be built in. And you're going to get free credits to use the APIs if you need to extend the tool beyond just using it as a chat tool. So pretty exciting news, especially for those companies that have not been able to use ChatGPT for a lot of those data security fears, but um, but also some extra powerful aspects to ChatGPT that we all can't access right now. And we'll, uh, we'll be waiting to see how much this is going to cost because that hasn't been announced yet. Um, what will be thoughts on this story, Mike? I'm very jealous of those users that get access to this early on with those two times faster speeds and 32K context window. But you can see that they've already got some big companies on board. So they've mentioned some other enterprise or early adopter enterprises, the likes of Canva, and I think there was some uh, Deloitte, maybe McKinsey, th those clients are, are getting on board with it early. Uh, yeah, it, it was the natural progression, uh, as we're going to discuss shortly. More AI tools are coming to the fore and getting more baked into the productivity suites that we all know and love. So OpenAI making this move this week makes uh, logical sense. Absolutely. I mean, I think probably the bit that I'd be the most excited about is being able to use Code Interpreter, now advanced data analysis, to analyze both client and biostrata data without worrying about what to upload. Because so far, I haven't had confidence enough in uh, OpenAI to give them anything of any real meaning, if I'm honest. Certainly nothing easily identifiable as data from Biostrata or as clients. So to be able to actually lean into that and properly analyze data without that worry is a, a big thing for me, especially given the wide skill set that Code Interpreter has um, outside of just your standard sort of data analysis and creating graphs and things that I know were a lot of the, the early use cases. You've been playing with Code Interpreter this week, haven't you, mine? Yeah, just trying something a bit different. I was getting frustrated with some uh, some long 
text and going back to that 32k context window, that's what I really want. But in you know light of not having that, I tried uploading a, a TXT file with the text broken down into into chapters that were very clearly marked in the file. And then I uploaded that file to Code Interpreter and basically helped uh, it helped me to write a a blog post with that as the reference material. And it did a better job than Claude. Claude has that bigger context window, but I just feel that its writing isn't as sharp. So by saying to Code Interpreter, check the TXT file and go to this part of the text and then read that chapter, it was able to give it the, basically an artificially large context window through which to, to pull some source material down. And it runs all of that through its Python scripts and what have you. And it worked really well. I was very happy with the outputs. Um, not something that um, I'd thought to do in terms of sticking a TXT file before, but yeah, I would definitely recommend people do that in, in order to interrogate some longer form text. Yeah, it's an interesting use case. And I think given that you did that to get around not having a very large context window so far, um, if you, one has to assume that at some point we're all going to get 32K, even if you're not on the enterprise plan, you could still use that approach to increase the context window even more. So yeah, very interesting stuff, uh, mine. And dear listeners, if you have any cool applications of Code Interpreter that you've been um, playing with, we'd love to hear about them because I think it's probably of of all of the different things you can do with ChatGPT and other, you know, Claude and other um, large language model bots. That I think is the one that has the largest scope to do really cool stuff beyond just having a content creation engine or having conversations with a with a uh, with a AI bot. Um, right, next story. It's going to be HubSpot's inbound conference this week. You'll be heading off there, Martin. What are your thoughts? There's going to be a maybe. What are the announcements are going to be? What do we think is going to go on in uh, in Boston this week? Well, we know that AI is going to feature heavily. HubSpot have made some big moves in this. They've already integrated AI through the content assistant, which is kind of baked into the web tool and the email marketing tool. So it will write your subject line. It will actually write entire emails for you. If you use the HubSpot sales plugin on Chrome or Outlook, you can get the AI to write your emails and it will ask if it's an introduction email, follow-up email or something like that. And, you know, you can uh, use a bit of prompt engineering to get high quality outputs from it. Uh, but AI, we know is going to be very heavily baked into the product going forward. And how do we know that? Well, HubSpot has already published uh, an AI roadmap. So in the roadmap, uh, this is freely available online. They talk about HubSpot AI in 2023 is really focusing on three main priorities. One is to increase AI-powered efficiency across your company. And the idea is that they want to help companies to eliminate repetitive tasks that take time, money, and deep expertise, and they want AI to do the heavy lifting there. Number two, they want to drive effectiveness using AI for better business outcomes. And that's more about using AI to unlock intelligent insights and basically giving you actionable uh, strategic insight on, on what way to maybe use your 
data. Um, and that's going to be driving that. And then number three is connect with your customers better than ever before, uh, which is going to be more about recommendation engines, personalization, individualized engagement strategies is something that they talk about in the roadmap. Now, this is going to be rolled out across uh, all of their main hubs. So they've got marketing hub, sales hub, service hub, and CMS hub. And I'm very, very excited to see what particular products they launch across these hubs. Now in Marketing Hub, as it exists today, they've already got Content Assistant, which I've already mentioned for landing pages, social media, etc. Um, but they talk about image generation. Um, this is something that I haven't seen baked into the platform as of yet, but presumably is on the horizon for social media posts. And you can, you can well imagine how if you're designing landing pages or call to actions, Having a, you know a stable diffusion type model baked into to HubSpot will make finding the right image uh, just a little bit easier. Now on the sales hub side of things, this is where I think the intelligence really comes into it. So they're talking about AI powered sales forecasts, predictive deal health scores, as well as content assistant for Gmail, Outlook, and their mobile app, which is also brilliant. I think that's going to be huge. If they can get the AI powered sales forecasting right, uh, and things like uh, AI powered lead scoring, which, and they've had smart lead scoring for some time. Um, and it's worked very well for organizations that I know have deployed it. But if they can do that, um, with even more data and in even more areas of the, the, the sales process, I think this is going to help them stand out against other CRM systems. There's one piece in the roadmap. There's a bunch of other elements that, that are in here. I'm not going to go through them all line by line, but there's one thing that really stood out to me in the roadmap and we haven't seen any sign of it in HubSpot as of yet, but other companies are bringing it to the fore and that is an AI website builder. So HubSpot has CMS hub. You can build your entire website on there. It's a very good content management system. And we saw Wix announce their AI powered website builder. We saw the demo, the trailer looks brilliant, looks very slick. Is that what HubSpot's going for? Are they going for that same prompt driven website builder or is it going to be something entirely different? I don't know. And I'm excited to find out. Hopefully they're going to make some announcements about that next week. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I wait with bated breath. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's going to be really interesting. Since HubSpot have been much more transparent or maybe even just proactive is a better word when it comes to their roadmap, some of the excitement has perhaps gone out of HubSpot product updates because they have this roadmap and so they're kind of telling us what's coming. But one of the fun things about going to inbound was always what exciting new thing are they going to launch? within the tool set that we don't know about. And it would be really great if there are a few aspects there that are not so overtly obvious on their roadmap that, you know, just will get us all excited. For me, I'm hoping that they bake AI into the content creation process in a, in a more effective way. You know, we've got an interview later with Jeff at Market Muse. There's so much scope. AI to touch and influence every part of the HubSpot stack. 
And I feel like they've made really good progress with things like Content Assistant, but I want to be able to get a full blog draft that I edit a little bit like some of the workflows that Biostratazone marketing leverages with ChatGPT, for example, rather than the sort of morbidity process that it is right now. It should also be baked into the SEO aspects of HubSpot, right, by definition. And as you talked about, having images that are automatically generated, at least for the header for the blog, should be relatively easy to do and is drifting towards table stakes, I think, at this point in terms of how hard is it to connect a content creation tool with an image generation tool where the content in the blog post is, in essence, the prompt that drives the image generation, right? That shouldn't be that hard. So I'm really hoping to see some of that that cool stuff. Um, again, they've been really proactive with those beaters. Like I'm, I just got access this week to the subject line beta, so I'm going to be giving that a try this week. Um, for those that you don't know, it's using generative AI to come up with different subject lines for your emailers, but doing it automatically and allowing you to quickly and easily run things like A-B tests and all that good stuff. So again, I really want those things. I really want some cool announcements, but my worry is all the cool stuff now you can get on restricted betas, um, especially if you're a partner agency, um, and you've got the roadmap. So I want to see between the lines of the roadmap something cool and interesting that I'm not expecting. Yeah, agreed. I Certainly on the, the SEO front, I think the topic cluster tool that they have within HubSpot at the moment is good for helping you literally kind of join the dots on your, your content strategy, but it isn't doing the AI powered kind of semantic SEO user intent NLP analysis. And that's where, you know, maybe they're just saying, look, that's not us. And that is for the likes of Market Muse. That is for the likes of SEMrush and what have you to do. We're not stepping into that territory, but I do feel like that is where there's, there's big gains to be made in the HubSpot stack. Yeah, I agree. And, and by default, having all of our blog posts on HubSpot CMS should give us a leg up in terms of being able to train the AI to produce content that's written more like we write because it has access to all of our content. And I know they gave it sub capabilities to train it on your content, but they're quite limited so far, which I'm sure is context window limited. So, you know, when some of the underlying tools, their context window increases, like we just talked about with ChatGPT, perhaps that will get better, but that's another thing I would love to see announced this week. Um, now there were some large announcements, um, the week just gone. Um, but in this case from Google, so in our next story. Google Workspace is now rolling out Google Duet to all Workspace users, which is a real-time AI assistant that is aiming to simplify pretty much all your work tasks. Why is this a big deal? Um, well, many of you that are listening will probably be using Google Workspace to power your, your work within your businesses, whether that's Gmail, Google Docs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Google Workspace already has 3 billion users and 10 million paying businesses, customers. Um, so you can imagine that um, rolling out this type of AI-powered assistant to that many businesses is that inflection point that Martin and I were talking about at the start of the show in terms of really handing AI-powered tools on a silver platter, making it super easy for people to use them. To give you a bit of an idea of what this is going to look like, Duet AI um, promises to be able to compile a complete presentation for you 
based on data in your Google Drive and Gmail. Big fat asterisk on that, onto how well that actually works. Um, but turning something that might have taken all day into something you could get done before lunchtime or maybe even before your morning coffee. Perhaps just as excitingly, um, as, at least for me, is the fact that Duet AI is also going to be integrated into Google Meet. So it's going to have features like auto-translated captions in 18 languages, improved audio and video quality. And fundamentally, the coolest thing is if you miss a meeting or you're on a meeting and you don't want to manually take notes, the AI will attend for you, take notes, and then send out summaries with actions to keep everybody in the loop. So that's pretty cool and I think pretty powerful. We've been waiting for something like this to be easily accessible in Teams and Zoom, and it looks like uh, Google may actually gazup them all a little bit in terms of bringing that power to people more widely. And of course, there are lots of users of Workspace. There is going to be some improvements to Google Chat as well. I have to admit we're a Google Workspace business, but we don't really use Google Chat. So it'll be interesting to see if this makes it a... Uh, a true competitor to Slack and, and Teams and other um, chat tools that people use, where it's going to be able to enable you to do things like ask the Duet AI questions directly in chat and also keep up with what's going on in your team and across your business by integrating and having conversations with the, the Google Duet AI model within the chat interface. And then the last part, as a callback to what we were talking about earlier with ChatGPT for Enterprise, is that Duet AI is being designed with privacy and security in mind, ensuring that your data remains your own. So that's obviously going to be really important for most businesses that want to opt into this. The relevance here for marketers is be prepared to upskill quickly in what you can use Duet AI for within your business um, if it gets activated. At the moment, it's being rolled out as a 14-day free trial limited to 10 users. Martin and I have got access to it. We'll go into that in a bit. But once you are through your free trial, it will be here in the UK, £30 plus a user per month. Now, Biostrat, I think, pays about £6 a user a month as it stands. So certainly for SMEs and potentially even mid-sized businesses, this is going to be a big jump in how much you're paying Google for software and is in line with the reported costs of Microsoft Copilot when that comes out, which I'm sure they will be scrambling to do in the next week or two now that Google Duet has been released. What are your thoughts on this one, Martin? I think you've been having a play, haven't you? I have, but before we get into that, I just want to touch on the price. So the £30 per month is on top of any existing subscription that you've got. So it's not a replacement for that. So if you're paying £7 per user per month, that's now £37 per user per month. Um, if you pay annually rather than monthly, it is £25 per month. So there is a significant jump, uh, sorry, discount for uh, the annual commitment, which I think is reasonable. The other thing I did appreciate when I was looking at the pricing is that you don't have to assign the licenses company-wide. So unlike with Google Workspace, where if the workspace is on, say, the, the business plan or the enterprise plan, everyone in the organization has to have that. With this, that isn't the case. And that was a real consideration for me thinking about the rollout and adoption of this. 
where some organizations are going to have people that desperately want to get their hands on these tools and other organizations are going to have people who quite simply are never going to use these tools. They're going to stay in their lane and, and just use the tools that they, they know work for them. If they had to upgrade because one person wanted it and everyone suddenly has to pay $30 per month, that felt like it was going to be a, a step too far. But fortunately, the licensing on this doesn't work like that. In terms of uh, initial thoughts, my immediate impression is, boy, oh boy, are we buying the roadmap here, right? This is, uh, they, this is an unfinished product, right? This, this is early and is it particularly capable at this point? No, not in my limited trials. Admittedly, it's very limited. A couple of examples, they have the uh, write an email for me tool in Gmail. Fine, it, it's okay. It's the same as using BARD. The output, the quality of the outputs is exactly the same as using, using BARD. Um, there didn't seem to be any additional functionality that I came across in early usage. Now, I'm sh they do say that more features are coming, but that's why I say it's like buying the roadmap. You're, you're buying the future of of what's coming, not the reality of where it is today. The, the notion that it can create slide decks for you, as far as I can see, that's not a reality yet. What you get if you go into slides is an image generator. You, you can put in an, a prompt like you would in mid journey or stable diffusion, and it will create an image for you and you can add that into your deck. Um, in sheets. You can write a prompt and ask it to do a thing for you. So maybe create a project plan for maybe a, a web development project or something like that. Um, my testing of that was that it was kind of okay, but I would probably do a better job myself. Um, I, I asked it to do a project plan for a web development project and it created the table assigned some timelines and some tasks, but if you use a, a, you know, like a, a, a SANA or another project management tool that has AI baked into it, the project plans that you get from those AI generated project plans are better, more detailed, more comprehensive. And the one thing that I thought it did do, which was pretty interesting was brought in some elements of Google Sheets that I know are there, but I never use. For example, the, the tabs or the ability to, like the buttons that you can add to cells, um, they announced it a couple of years ago. I don't know if you, if you actively use them in your sheets, Paul, but I certainly don't. I knew they were there, but they're great for project management. They were just not a feature that I'd ever incorporated into my workflow. Well, it brought them into the project plan. And I thought, okay, that's quite neat. It's making, making me use more of the functionality that it has available to it. But yeah, it, it isn't creating, um, particularly, I asked it to create a, a Gantt chart. Didn't do that at all. So that was a, a complete fail. It can't create a, a slide deck right now. It can do image generation for $30 or 30 pounds a month. I'm not sure I would. Uh, I would upgrade to it. Uh, at the moment I'm on day two of my trial. So who knows, you know, speak to me in, in two weeks time and maybe I'm 
more excited and more enthusiastic. But right now, hmm, it's somewhat lacking. I'd agree. I think that 14-day trial is going to turn out to be a real risk for Google because I'm not sure businesses are going to be able to tap into enough power to make them to want to commit to paying for it. When I think about how best to roll this out within an organization, right? Me and you are Haley nerds, so we are in a really strong position to start playing with it and try and get it to do things. A big, big gap for most businesses is going to be training and empowering people to leverage the tools in their daily workflows. All of that is a massive barrier, and I'm not sure how much progress a business can make in 14 days to go, all right, let's commit to this. The best case scenario for Google, but to a certain extent for businesses as well, is going to be to create some sort of AI working group within a business that's a small collection of users that are well positioned to get benefits from the tools, that have interest in trying to want to get to grips with the tools, that basically pilot this on behalf of the rest of the business to figure out if you can maximize the use of it to actually get value out of that. 30 pounds per user per month. So yeah, we can have a play. I think we'll probably test it reasonably well in that 14 day period, but most businesses are not going to have to, so they are not going to be able to. So they're either going to have to create that working group and suck up a bit of costs, um, or, you know, or leave it. Honestly, it'd be really interesting to see what the uptake of this actually ends up being. Yeah, it's going to be a, a big commitment for a lot of businesses if they don't see value from it quickly. It's also interesting in that it comes a week after rumors started circulating about uh, the expected price of paid plans for Claude. So it was rumored this week that uh, Claude.ai will cost users $50 per month which compared to all of these other tools is quite steep. $20 per month for ChatGPT plus, um, and $50 is a big jump. Copilot rumored to be 30. Yet strangely, I would pay $50 per month for Claude without batting an eyelid. We had this discussion, didn't we, over WhatsApp? Because I, I honestly don't agree. I don't... I, I'm really looking for these tools to be a little bit lower cost than $50 a month, because I think one of the biggest challenges is going to be shifting user behavior to have them really leverage these tools. I think $50 per month in your workflow and the way that you work is probably good value for you. But I think for most people, it's not going to be. Mm. And if they try and charge too much for this too early, I think they're going to blunt adoption. Because a lot of small and mid-sized businesses are not going to be able to take the punt on those types of costs without having some idea of how they're going to get and measure return on investment. And I think the return on investment will be there, but only if you, as we said, right, train people and empower them to find effective use cases for using the tools. And that's a massive barrier. And I think a lot of software companies going, right, we want to charge this. Here you go. Here's the tool, expecting that somehow the businesses are going to figure out how to leverage it effectively across a wider user base in their, in, you know, across their employees. I don't think it's going to work out like that. A little plug, Martin and I do offer AI training and consultancy for businesses that want to unlock the potential of these systems um, to massively boost their productivity and efficiency. 
Um, but I think that's going to be a critical piece, right? Because without it, you're going to just be throwing money away because AI is cool and you thought you should buy some, right? Um, let's um, move on to our last story today, which is, is a good example of AI being pretty cool, um, but not quite as cool as it sounds. Uh, Martin, tell us about, uh, is it Ideogram? Is that how it's pronounced? I don't know. Ideogram? Ideogram? Tell us about it. Ideogram, Ideogram, take your pick. Uh, it's a new startup which is uh, the brainchild of some ex-Google brain researchers. And they've managed to secure $16.5 million in seed funding from A16Z and Index Ventures. And this is an AI image generator. So it's a new uh, tool, new model uh, that uh, has a specific, unique feature. So. Unlike other AI image generators, Ideogram is generating reliable text. I say reliable in air quotes. Um, that's its special trick. That's its party trick is it can do text in images where other models suffer horribly. So it's available uh, in beta via a web app and it has some preset image generation styles, one of which is typography. And this feature allows users to produce lettering in different colors, fonts, sizes, styles using prompts. Um, you can also ask it to uh, just create images of somebody holding a sign with some text on it, and it will do exactly that. And there's some pretty cool examples. If you log in, you can see almost like a real-time feed of favorited um, images, ones that people think are particularly good. One example that we've got, and we'll put this onto the, uh, onto the website show notes is uh, an image of Star Wars Mandalorian holding a big tub of protein powder. And across the front, it says, this is the way. Very clever. So way, W-H-E-Y, right? Yeah. Way protein. Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> And then another one, which is of uh, a big wall and uh, the prompt just said, your prompts are public, you weirdos, Banksy graffiti. And then on the wall in spray paint, it says, your prompts are public, you weirdos. And it's perfectly legible. So in those two examples, it's done a very good job. In trying it for the podcast, I added the prompt, cheering crowds, waving signs, saying artificially intelligent marketing. And when you generate this, uh, it creates four images, kind of very standard across these kind of models. The first one nails the brief. There is a crowd of people and in the foreground, there is a woman holding a sign that says artificially intelligent marketing. But from there on, it, well, it misses the mark substantially. The next one says artificially long intelligent. And then the next one says something that's absolute nonsense. And the final one says there is no planet B. So I'm not 100% convinced by its reliability just yet. It is somewhat uh, hit and miss. And uh, another observation that I made in testing was does suffer from the hands and the face ghoulishness that we've seen on other AI image generator models. Yeah, it's um, that's a great summary. Thanks, Martin. I haven't played with it a bit. My experiences have been the same as, as yours. 
And looking, even just looking at the images that you generated, I get the sense that they've deliberately tried to train this model on signage and writing. And I think that's one of the reasons it's actually quite bad at, at people and hands and all the other things. Like it's, it's like image generators from like a year ago, you know, almost in terms of its general image generation capabilities, but it's really good at text, probably because it was trained on text. It's interesting that even the best artificially intelligent marketing placard that was generated spelled artificially wrong, right? So that's still pretty much a, a big issue, even though it's quite clear in the prompt because you spelt it right in the prompt. Um, and even in some of the like outputs that you got, the, the, the there is no planet B sign that you got, I think that's a real one from the training data. And then the image next to it is clearly based on that, mm. but is just some weird amalgamation. So look, as a user, you probably don't need to care too much about that. But in essence, the summary here is it's much better at text than any of the other tools. You can, with some brute force, get a good and legible output, um, including some of the sort of interesting and funny examples that Martin gave us at the beginning. But if you think you can go boot this up and start producing production-ready signage and logos, I would seriously question your ability to do that. I think there's much better, um, but you're going to have to prompt a lot in order to get what you want, and it's going to mess up quite a bit of stuff. And worth keeping in mind um, that uh, us as a group of weirdos have to keep in mind that our prompts are public, because whilst this is a free tool right now, whatever prompts you put in, they do end up on the sort of recent examples board within the EDGram tool. So um, have, when you're having a play with this, do keep in mind people can see what you're generating and that's probably why it's free. And when you want to be able to generate private images, be uh, expecting to pay for that when the paid version is rolled out. I think one of the things I'm excited with here is whether or not this will nudge the power tools out there that kick drops um, the mid journeys to try and improve their text generation or whether or not we'll end up with different image generation AI tools for different use cases. But one thing I really want to see is better text because it does limit your ability to produce a whole suite of images that would be interesting, certainly as a marketer, when it comes to using AI driven image generation tools. Well, it's the next frontier, isn't it? Text in AI images, it's, it's the next logical progression. We know that it is capable. Google, you know, about a year ago, maybe over a year ago, uh, published their research paper on their image generation model party, P-A-R-T-I, and that has a 20 billion parameter model, which was able to create images in text and on signs, things like that. Uh, very well. Now, obviously in the paper, they were probably selecting some of the, the better examples and on the blog post talking about it, but we know it's possible, but 20 billion parameters is a particularly large model for image generation. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think we're going to see a lot here over the next six months. Um, and hopefully this will be one of the things that helps kickstart some of those improvements. Right. So that's all of the stories that we're covering this week, really focusing in on the big ones as we mentioned at the beginning. From here, we're going to move into our interview. Martin, tell us a bit more about your interview this week. Yeah, a good interview with Jeff Coyle. Now, Jeff has forgotten more about SEO than I'll ever know. He's the 
co-founder of Market Muse, a computer scientist by trade. Um, and we had a great conversation about how AI is changing search engine optimization and content marketing. But I started the conversation by asking him to tell us a little bit about what Market Muse does. So Market Muse is a content intelligence and content strategy software platform. So it's focused on giving insights as to what people should be writing, why they should be writing it, how much do they need to write, and then taking them as far down that journey of creation or updating or optimization as they want. Um, so we've been around for as long as nine and a half years. Uh, I joined the company when we kind of took it to market and went full time about eight and a half years ago. The challenge that I saw consistently was that teams didn't have direction on what to create and why they should be creating it or what to update and what would be the highest priority for updating. And those were really where a lot of the challenges that search engine optimization teams, content marketing teams, demand gen editorial had getting along effectively. It was, we think you should write this page. And they were like, we don't want to write that page. Why would we write it? And it's like, because keywords. And then they were like, that's not enough of a good reason. And my goal kind of as having lived through that and, and worked on manual processes was, was what of these things can be optimized? What of these things can be automated? And that was the journey of Market Muse. And so we're doing a lot of insight in things that are automating people's day to day, but also giving them ideas that they wouldn't have gotten elsewhere. So you talk about the, the giving the, the insights and the intelligence. Just break that down for us in terms of, you know, if I was to sign up for an account today, what, what am I going to get as a, as a content marketer? So I like to think about it as site level and page level. That's the easiest way to think of content strategy versus more. I'm touching a page. I'm updating a page. I'm making a page beautiful. Um, so we have solutions at both of those kind of zones. So in the page level, you know, you may already have a draft, um, no matter where you got it from. It may be a page that you invested in years ago. It may be something you're working on or recently published. What insights do you want from that? How do I make that better? How do I make it more comprehensive? How do I make it more aligned with today's intent? Or how do I ensure that it is equal to or better than all of my competitors every time? So that's where we provide insights, but not just by copying your competitor, by understanding what it means to be an expert. And then at the site level, you're looking at what you currently have, right? So you want to know what breadth and depth of coverage you have, um, the quality, if you have any momentum, and are there off-page factors you should consider? Um, so we do effectively a on-demand content inventory to say, if I were to focus on this topic, we can give you an idea of what coverage you have, how much momentum you have, and we are the only people that personalize a difficulty score. So if you're in the SEO world, Everybody's got their own scores. Everybody's got their own difficulty. Um, we personalize that so you can say, how hard will this be for us? Is this impossible or is this a quick win? Um, and what we found is by looking at the quality of the content and the coverage levels, um, we're able to uh, very effectively predict uh, outcomes and say, hey, you need a seven to 10 page cluster on this to even start putting points on the board. And it really changes the way organizations work because so many teams, they think that writing content and publishing it 
is somewhat of a dice roll. They don't know, is it going to do well? Maybe if we look at it next year, we'll, we'll know. And um, being able to get to the point where they're asking for budget with effective predictions um, really changes the way teams work. How is AI baked into to market views? Um, so it has always been an AI first platform, and that is uh, 10 years ago. And then you have, you know, things like topic modeling, graph, graph analysis and, um, you know, entity analysis. Um, and now we're, we've innovated over the past, you know, six, seven, eight years in the field of generation. And how can we use generative technology to empower not just writing pages? People often mistake that text generation means going to draft. Um, there's a lot of use cases for, for natural language tech uh, pre- processing natural language generation that output, even giving a writer a prompt, building briefs, building outlines, um, making it so that their job staying in the loop and exhibiting their expertise isn't stunted. And so when you take technology and data, and now it's being used as part of conversations where it never would have been in the past, that's where I see, you know, market muse fitting in is to say that editor who's the most brilliant subject matter expert on this topic wants data to be part of their discussion. And that this is a really last couple of years have been the first time that that's ever been a reality. And I think so much of that requirement to demonstrate expertise is becoming increasingly important. We've seen this in the the Google guidelines with the eat and the uh, the experience expertise, all of that is becoming increasingly important. And I think marketers are just, you know, people have been playing SEO and doing SEO hardcore. They, they know this, they're staying on top of the Google guidelines, but lots of copywriters don't, don't understand the importance of, of going deep on, on expertise in particular. Where do you think this, this is taking us? Like everything, if we're looking 18, 24 months out from, from today, where do you think this is taking us from a, from a search perspective? The biggest change I'll highlight would be this is going to be the time period where the rise of the expert happens and content quality is no longer a, an option. Um, and if you were doing things to get away with mediocre or, you know, heaven forbid, worse than mediocre content, um, that is going to be devastating for you. Um, it's not only, it could potentially make you ignorable, um, but it may actually negatively impact your brand at a level that's going to be difficult to remediate. And the unique, hilarious part about this is it's kind of getting back to early days of editorial, early days of journalism, early days of search, where you were thinking critically about user intents and you have to bring your A game every time. And how can we do that while also being fast and while also automating? It becomes the challenge for every single team. I think people have to be a little bit understanding that they're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm. And so I'm seeing this a lot. I, I cringe every time I look at my uh, Facebook or Instagram and I see, hey, here's how to do keyword research with ChatGPT. And I'm like, don't do it. No, 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 you don't get it. And it, because it, because the outputs look so good, mm. right? The outputs look legitimate. Um, and so a new wave of sharp people are going to be 
building technology and implementing technology to take advantage of people implementing it poorly. <laughs> and that's a wild thing to think about. So it's effectively saying, um, if you're using keyword density or you're using, you know, term frequency to optimize your pages as an old SEO, you know, uh, association, it's really easy to beat you in organic search. If, if you're a sharp, if you've been doing this for a long time, right. And you, you're going to now have that. It, it's, it's really easy to beat you if you're using generative AI badly. It's like today's spam, today's bad spammers. Like it's really, I, you know, I, I, and there's even new waves of things spiking in the SEO community and in the content community where people are saying, Hey, this is super easy. Just launch 10,000 pages and go for it. I, I would love nothing more than for my clients, competitors to go do those things because it's like, I'm just waiting for the the the, uh, the sword of Damocles to no longer have a rope, right? And um, I think it has a rope in the oh, the thing that cuts your head off. Basically. Yeah, I will go guillotine. Um, and uh, and that's that's what you're that's what you're experiencing right now is I'm watching train wrecks. Uh, I'm watching them before they happen, and I'm just like train wrecks coming. Uh, the product reviews update was a great example of that, where we were ahead of the game. Um, and trying to advise all of our um, clients to get religion on that, you know, a year ahead of time, because at some point Google is not going to be okay with content that pretends to review something that doesn't actually review it. Right? You're going to see that times a million. Uh, the search generative experience with Google, right? It changes every day, right? Um, currently, the three units of pay- if you don't know what search generative experience is. It's the generated search results on Google, which they're some, they're in a test plan clearly where they're assessing if the query deserves to have this experience. And then they're showing effectively a mediocre book report on the topic. And then sometimes they're showing products. Sometimes they're showing some pages from the learner's journey. If you want to, you can type in another question and continue that experience. And then you'll go into their normal search results. It's clearly a work in progress. And Google has shown to us that they get things right over time. It takes them some time. One thing I'm seeing is that um, Google is referencing what they consider to be great resources, right? Um, one example of this is, for e-commerce sites is, but they're actually anchoring down to the text. So some, some of these e-commerce sites, their category pages are ranking and it's anchoring down to the footer. So you click, so you're in this like funky, unexpanded filter funnel experience. Like you basically just like, you know, so there's so many different layers of this because imagine, right? If you put your FAQ below the fold on your category page and Google's like, yeah, that was a good answer. I got that. They're, they're, they're actually dragging you down to the, to the, to the bottom on it. And uh, nobody is ready for that right now. So there's just a lot of things that people aren't ready for the implications of the bad decisions they've made um, to um, put the customer's experience second. Um, and I think that what the big change to, to, to come somewhere with this landing pad is every business is going to have to examine where they've made a decision for traffic, for lead gen, for e-commerce sales that wasn't customer first 
that's going to end up being the story. It's going to take us a couple of years to get there. Um, but over time, that's going to end up being the story. Yeah, I think SGE is, we don't, we don't have access to it in the UK at the moment. So I'm very much following from, uh, from afar, just watching the likes of Lily Ray and other commenters just doing all of these experiments every day. And, and I do want to dive into it because it is fundamentally going to change the way that organic content or how we engage with organic. I think in some respects, Google for a long time, you know, Google generates money through selling ad units, right? So they want to deliver you the best user experience. That just so happens to have been historically by giving you organic content and the best of that content, but they don't really care about organic truly. I don't, I, they want to sort out the, and what is it? What's the mission? Manage or organize the world's information. Information. Right. Right. So if they can do that and organic jumps, you know, 10% further down the page or 50% further down the page in some instances that I've seen while still presenting ad units, in fact, still getting more ad units, you know, the, those Google shopping ad units are all over SGE as far as I can see. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, organic is, is a, is a lower priority as long as they can access the information to then put that into the SGE, then they're happy. This isn't search results, right? Mm. And that's, so if someone's coming to a search engine and they're getting stuff that isn't search results, it has to be validated that that's the right thing to show, right? Or it has to be validated in some other way that it's appropriate for their business to show. And so ad units, um, are a great example of that. Um, query refinement actions are all have always been a big part of. Google's mission. It's not just search results and that's a key. So refinement of queries. Um, it's, uh, you know, someone wanting to go from a search to a browse experience, right? Has always been or a search to a filtration experience. So for me, I'm just seeing this as another, someone wants to go from a search to a blah, blah, blah experience, right? And that's why I think you hear it as generative experience. They don't know where that's going to land, mm. but what we can be confident in is that they're going to make the right decision over time as to which queries should have this and shouldn't. When the novelty wears off and it becomes ubiquitous, is it really going to be gr a great experience for me to type in, you know, best Bluetooth speakers for a pool party? And it's like, Bluetooth speakers are this type of thing. And if you go to a party, you know, you might want this feature or that feature or that feature. And you're like, well, that's not helpful at all. And then they're showing me three links and I'm clicking and it's like early stage awareness, consideration, purchase. By the way, if you want to, if you want an observation of the week in your SGE, the right rail tend to not have the same intent. They tend to have almost a quickie journey. It's a really good research. And that's worth the price of admission for this podcast today. Uh, it's usually pretty good as to what intents Google favors for the journey on the topic. And then you can scale down and um, there's actually two views in the SGE. One is um, a pack and the other one's a stack. Um, and so the stack, you can actually see each segment. It, it can go, you know, 3,000, 4,000 pixels if you flip this top right button. And so you start to learn, you're trying to learn about what I might need to be, who I might need to be 
to be part of this, to be for my stuff to get part of this. Um, and it's a little bit ambiguous right now, but you can be confident that it validates Google's desire for you to have content at all stages of the learning journey or the buying journey. And for that to all exhibit expertise, the persons that are going to get hit hardest here are e-commerce and e-commerce reviews. Yeah. Um, I just, I mean, just, just, we'll just be blunt. Um, and then the second tier that's going to get hit hardest is early stage awareness. People that have fallen into early stage awareness content, um, as their perception of how to rank. Um, and so if you've done really, really weak early stage awareness content only on your site, you are a, a, a frail, little deer and about to get <laughs> walloped by a very large truck. Um, and that I'm looking at periodical publishers, uh, B2B tech companies who rely solely on a low quality glossary. Um, I've seen every which way this is going to shake out. And, and those folks should be quaking in their boots because they, you know, they, they were focused on a tactic instead of strategy. And that's, that's the answer that you said at the top end. It's if your entire, if your entire off, um, unpaid traffic uh, collection channel setup is all coming from one tactic, you're in a you're in a bind, a big bind. And a lot of these tactics that have been employed by what I'd call gray hat SEOs in the past, you, they're usually the ones pointing at things on videos, um, and you know dancing about their results is a lot of those tactics just they're completely irrelevant um if you've got you know they may work here and there and you might be able to get some money out of it but if you're a real brand um, it's going to catch up with you and we're already seeing that happen i mean i i can't obviously say any brands on this but we're we're seeing tragic stuff happen with people who had had marginally high marginally low quality or low quality um, as a tactic in the past. And they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, you have to update 700 pages like yesterday. And they're like, how do we do that fast? And I'm like, unfortunately, the situation you're in is that doing that fast is going to cost you a lot of money, um, and require expertise that you may not have. Um, and, uh, then what do you bring? You bring what you bring, what makes you special. If you bring what makes you special to that, and bring your skills, you become a little bit unstoppable. And that's, you know, th those, that's what we're going to be up against is it's the big publisher who realizes that they can, they're so confident in the quality of their work that they can base all of the world's information that they present to you off of something, right? It's that the potential for a search engine as a concept to not be valuable. There's a potential for an ad server as a concept to be irrelevant. Um, and I've been exploring that in my brain for about five years. I did not know what would happen this quickly, um, but it is, it's going to be very, very fast and it's going to be ugly that um, some of these pre previous ways one accessed information no longer are relevant. And then new technologies are going to take over and it's the world's changing, but we're doing away with a lot of really bad customer and information retrieval, negative information retrieval experiences. And 
Um, I think you're, you're going to see a couple of years, you're going to see SEOs, certain SEOs are saying, I can't believe this tactic still works or this tactic will always work. And, and it's just, it's, it's kind of like trite. Um, yeah, we've had similar conversations on the podcast many times, like short termism. Um, if you're thinking long term, you, you've got to be looking at, at different approaches. So, um, over the next 12 months, where, what's new for market views? What's coming? You've mentioned a new tool there. What, what have we got to look yeah. forward to? So we have, um, we have a, our reintroduction of our proprietary language model technology, um, which is going to go into, um, our editor experience will be the first wave of that. Um, and then, so that'll happen in a month. Um, so. I've, I've been recommending people, uh, get a paid account right now, um, because there will be packaging changes coming. Um, and then when that happens, and then in the hopefully knock on wood, um, in Q4, we will have another release of our implementation of our artificial intelligence solution that may s- uh, sneak into Q1. Um, but, uh, doing something that no one's ever done before with this type of technology. So. Um, that is, that's going to be an ex, just, it's an exciting time to, to work in those areas. But uh, most, more recently, I think some things we've launched are, um, basically a, a quality and a cluster quality analysis solution, um, is baked into one of our applications. Um, we also have a cluster or universe keyword or topic universe gap analysis solution. So if you're monitoring, um, a site, you can search for a topic and see where you have strengths and weaknesses on that cl- cluster. And those things have been out for a couple months um, and are are worth your your view. I always say one of them is about a 10 and a half hour workflow and one of them is about 30, 30 hours. So if you clearly see the benefit of those things, it can typically uh, make the ROI uh, easily justifiable. Well, whatever comes next, I'm looking forward to it. The um, last bunch of updates that rolled out, the ones that stand out for me were the the SERP X-rays, brilliant feature. I love diving mm-hmm. into that. Um, so much insight, uh, a lot of value for that. Um, so yeah, excited to hear what comes next. If people want to get um, started on Market Muse, um, marketmuse.com. Absolutely. Yeah, go to marketmuse.com. Um, shoot me an email, jeff at marketmuse.com or a DM on the X. Okay, so if you're, if, you're, if you're writing more than two or three pages a month right now, this solution is going to be right for you. And that's the key it may require you to do some, you know, soul searching and some cleanup. And, um, there's really no solution that's going to tell you how to stay differentiated while you clean stuff up, except market muse, because, um, we make sure that when we give recommendations, it's not just copy your competitor, it's differentiate, um, and make sure that it's high quality. And, you know, you really can't go wrong as long as you're putting your best foot forward as a business. Thank you for listening to artificially intelligent marketing. To stay on top of the latest trends, tips, and tools in the world of marketing AI, be sure to subscribe. We look forward to seeing you again next week.